0: Our preaching text this morning comes from the Psalter, from Psalm 139. Hear now the word of the Lord. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. And the light will become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. And together we say, thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart and all our hearts be pleasing to your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Open our hearts to receive your word this morning. Plant within us a garden of new life. In Jesus' name, amen. It was the moment I had been waiting for after a full day of Waddling through the hot and crowded Vatican City, we had finally made it to the Sistine Chapel, and I was so excited to see the wonderful work of art on that, on that ceiling that Michelangelo had painted long ago. But sometimes high expectations uh, yield poor results, and that's exactly what happened here, because I know it would have been an amazing thing for Michelangelo for, to, for four years of his life to paint this amazing work of art on the ceiling, I can only imagine what that's like after, you know, craning your neck to just to spread paint out evenly on the ceiling when trying to paint at home for a home project. But he spent four years meticulously crafting this beautiful work of art over time. And just, I can't even fathom how much attention to detail and vision and passion with which he had to do that with. But after this. uh, We got in there and it took Michelangelo four years to paint the Sistine Chapel, but it took me four minutes to get to see it. Because when we entered into the room, I realized that it was hotter and crowded in there than it was anywhere else in the Vatican City. And so we entered in and they literally had us crammed in there, packed like sardines, and shuffled us along, herded like cattle. There were literally guards in there who were yelling at us. If you stopped to look at the beauty of the ceiling, they would yell and say, keep moving. And so it was not the experience that I had hoped to receive. It was a bit of a letdown for me. It wasn't that the ceiling wasn't amazing, because it really was. It was just that I did not have the opportunity to appreciate it for the masterpiece that it is. I wonder if you've ever felt like that can be relatable to your life. That we move through life at such a rate that it's difficult to take in all the beauty around us. And I feel like the same is often true for the way that we experience God's presence. It seems like we're moving so fast that we fail to recognize God's presence in our lives and the beauty of God's creation around us. Everything tells us to keep moving, to keep doing our tasks and daily offerings. But Really, God's presence is always available to us. He's always there. He's he's waiting for us. He's inviting us with open arms. And sometimes we fail to recognize that and we miss it. We often go through life shuffled from one activity or event to the next with hardly a chance to breathe in between. The demands and tasks of our lives sometimes feel like those security officers telling us to keep moving and yelling at us for just trying to take it all in. It often feels like there simply aren't enough moments in the day to get it all done, much less to fully grasp the beauty of life. I tend to imagine that King David had a similar feeling about his life. I bet with the demands of running a kingdom, being constantly at war, trying to establish the capital of Israel, and of course the many family issues that he had to deal with and the mistakes that he made, it was probably tough for King David to slow down and take in the beauty of God. But apparently something happened later in his life that helped him to course correct. We tend to attribute the psalm that we just read earlier, the 139th psalm, to King David. It may or may not have been him. But if that is the case that he wrote it, he clearly figured something out later on in life that made him realize what was really important. Psalm 139 is deemed by some as the masterpiece of the Bible. It is one of the most beautiful pieces of poetry in all of the Bible and in all of the psalms. And one thing that's interesting about this psalm is that it doesn't really fit well into the categories that people often name for the psalm. It doesn't pinpoint, It isn't pinpointed quite as easily. Some classify one, Psalm 139 as a psalm of innocence because they believe it was written because someone suspected David or whoever the author may have been of idolizing something or someone. So the great psalmist did some soul-searching. He slowed down to ask himself this tough question, am I really what they say I am? And then he penned this beautiful poetic response. One reason that Psalm 139 is seen as a masterpiece is because it can show two fundamental truths about God which often seem contradictory to our own minds. But yet God is somehow able to hold these two things together. First, it describes the magnitude of God. We hear this in the psalm that God is immense, that he is infinite, ultimate in knowledge, power, and presence. God knows it all. He made it all, and he can be anywhere and everywhere at once. The psalmist emphasizes beautifully God's presence in all places, God's omnipresence, which means all present. David asks the question, where can I go from your spirit, from your presence? But he answers it himself. If I go to the sky or to the depths, to the north, the south, the east or the west, you are there. Even in the most remote places to us, earth dwellers, heaven and hell are occupied by the spirit of God. In other cultures of the ancient Near East, the gods would hang out in the heavens. They would spend most of their time there. Occasionally, they would dabble in the affairs of earth below. But they would never dream of going down into Sheol, the realm of the dead. The God of the psalmist, however, is not above dwelling even in hell and death and darkness. God is everywhere. The majesty of and lordship of our God over creation is truly something to behold. And David portrays this beautifully in the psalm. But the psalm not only shows us the grandeur of God, but also the intimacy in this relationship with the psalmist. In Psalm 139, we see that God is sovereign, but God is also so near to us. In the NIV, verse 13 reads, you formed my inmost parts. The Hebrew word there translated for inmost parts is kilya, which means kidneys. What's more inner than your kidneys? The King James Version translates this sentence, you created my reins, as in reins of a horse. The things that steer us, that guide us through life, that make us tick and make us who we are. How humbling it is that God would intricately design these unseen core parts of our very nature for every one of us. That this holy, 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 huge and mighty God would spend time and being concerned about us, God may have a lot of responsibility as the sustainer of the universe, but the psalmist writes, You searched me. God may know everything about everyone in the world, but the psalmist says, You know me. The psalmist may recognize that God has created the entire universe, but he says, You created me, my inmost being. Our God is both powerful and personal. Out of this entire psalm about God's presence and power, verse 14 is probably the most famous one of them all. It says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Fearfully and wonderfully made. This strikes me as a strange verse because when we think of those words, we usually attribute them to God. God is the one who is worthy to behold in fear and in wonder, not us. But the psalmist writes that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And this is because we are made in the image of God. The image of God or the imago dei was one of John Wesley's favorite things to talk about. He named that this is what makes us unique that gives us will and value and therefore should seek holiness because we are seeking to reclaim the image of God stamped on our hearts. For the psalmist, it meant that God created us with intention and with wonder, that every single one of us is God's masterpiece. Just as Psalm 139 was David's masterpiece, just as the Sistine Chapel is Michelangelo's, You and I are God's masterpiece. Even when we are not at our best, even when we're at our worst, God is there for us and loves us just the same. Before we do anything of note, before painting a Sistine Chapel or writing a beautiful song or novel, or even before taking a step, God values us. We are the crown jewel of his creation. And not only that, but we are a part of his ultimate masterpiece, the redemption of all creation, and we get to play a role in that. It's not far-fetched to assume that the psalmist is doing some serious soul-searching because of a crisis that occurred in his life. Maybe the psalm had doubts about his own holiness and his worth because of the words of other people against him, accusations, or, or maybe it was something that he had done that he regretted deeply. Either way, he is here in this moment of crisis, searching for answers, longing for hope. And I think we can all relate to that on some level, right? That sometimes we've had times when we have searched our own hearts and souls and we felt like we came up short, like we landed in a place of insecurity, where we were unfulfilled, where we felt like we just simply weren't enough. And maybe this is you this morning. If it is, I pray that you hear the words that the psalmist had to be reminded of in this moment, that there is a God who is beyond all comprehension and yet is intimate as our very breath, and God fearfully and wonderfully made you in his own image. Did you notice the one step that the psalmist took in order to articulate these truths? He praised In the midst of his enemies, assailed by his own anxious thoughts, the psalmist went back to square one. He reminded himself that the Almighty God is the one who created him and who knew him best. And the psalmist remembered that he was made so well by God and that God has special designs for his own life. Then he turned his attention to the one who is bigger than all of his problems and all of his issues, and he praised him. He may have been accused of worshiping idols, but David made it clear in this moment who he was going to give his praise to, the one and only true God. He did the very thing that we are gathered to do this morning together. He praised God. It was only by stopping and praising God that he was able to slow his life down and recognize the goodness that God had all around him. And God is worthy of our praise. God is the greatest force in all the universe. And yet God takes such a personal interest in you and me that he demonstrated his love for us through Jesus on the cross. God's stake in us is higher than we could ever imagine. When we are overrun with worry or fear, or we feel that the world is against us and that we are out of time, stopping and praising is probably the very last thing that's on our minds. And yet it's the one thing that this psalm is reminding us to do, to stop and praise God, to come to worship as we are today, to end each day in prayer, thanking God for the blessings in our lives and the goodness of God so that we will not take these things for granted. When we do that, it forces us to slow down and to recognize God's wonderful work in our lives so, if you're looking for a way to feel more peace in your lives, praise God. If you are looking for a way to make moments feel like they matter, praise God. If you're looking to get the most out of what this world has to offer, whether it's time with family, or a purpose in work, or the beauty of creation, or the joy of your favorite hobby, praise God. It sounds simple, but when we praise God with the foundation that we are known and loved by this infinitely amazing, wonderful God, we can overcome any accusations that the world throws against us. We can even overcome this sense of hurry and become who we are created to be. The Sistine Chapel ceiling is vast and wonderful. It tells the, the first stories of the Bible from the book of Genesis, but The moment that you mention the Sistine Chapel, most people's minds goes to the image of God reaching out to David. And their fingers are almost touching. And it's a beautiful depiction of heaven and earth colliding as a father is reaching out toward his child, his masterpiece. And God is reaching out to you and to me in the same way. Don't miss it. Don't forget to slow down and recognize the wonders of God's love with your praise. If you have nothing else left to praise God for, praise Him for this. You are not without purpose. You are not an accident. You were created fearfully and wonderfully. You are not without meaning. You are a masterpiece. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we thank you for your spirit who is with us and is everywhere. We thank you for your love and your grandeur and your intimacy and your knowledge of who we are. And Lord, we lift up our hearts to you this morning. Amen.